Hey, Sweat Sisters, welcome to the Pretty Girl Sweat Show, which highlights women who are balancing demanding careers with a healthy lifestyle and hurtling over personal and professional obstacles. I'm your host, Aisha DeVore Branch, and each week I have a sister to sister chat with an inspiring go getter. And listeners learn how good things come to those who sweat. If this is your first time listening, what up? You could be anywhere in the world and you're here with me and I really appreciate that. If you love what you hear, take a second to subscribe to the podcast so you get updates every time we drop a new episode. If you got half a second, leave a rating, which will help other sweat sisters in need of inspiration find our podcast. If you have a minute, please follow us across all social media platforms. We are at Pretty Girl Sweat on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter and YouTube. Use the hashtag Pretty Girl Sweat when sharing this episode. And if you have five minutes, please leave a review and let us know how we're doing. You're listening to episode 10 of the Pretty Girl Sweat Show. And today our guest is Tiffany Parker. The USA track and field and bobsled athlete started her career as a top California ranked triple jumper. With some earlier career injuries, financial setbacks, and disappointments, this struggling athlete, who was once told she would never make it, has developed into an elite seasoned athlete that continues to persevere. Hello, hello. Good morning. How's it going in your neck of the woods? Um, it is currently raining in Tennessee. I'm sad because it was a perfect like 80 degrees yesterday and I'm not quite sure what mother nature is doing. I know playing all kinds of games and tricks on us. It's just not nice at all, at all. So since we're, oh, this is a good segue since we're talking about rain um, and water and, you know, water, sweat, all that good stuff. Um, let's start with you maybe sharing a moment that you remember when you cried tears of joy? Um, I would say a moment where I cried tears of joy. Hmm. It would be when I got my first USA box. So I'd been training from college to represent the United States of America. And when you finally make a team, they send you a box of gear to your house and the, whoever is the head of that team will call you and say that you've been picked for selection. So it just so happened to be my birthday. And, um, it was a really cool moment to like open the door, get a phone call at the same time saying that I had been selected for the first team that, um, I'd ever gotten a chance to represent the U S doing. And it was just a really powerful moment for me. Um, I had spent, three years trying to get to that point, um, fought multiple injuries to get to that point. Um, my mom had passed away. Like there was just a lot that had gone on. So it was, it was a really cool experience. And when he told me that I finally had made a team, I was like crying on the phone. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wow. What really stood about, stood out to me about what you just said, um, is about your mom. So I'm sorry for your loss. Um, what do you think she would have said to you if she had been there when you got that box? Um, uh, probably the same goofy things that she said would say all the time. Um, she probably would say something like sarcastic, like it's about time you're trying hard. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but no, nah, she, she would say, you know, 
like God is good. You put in a lot of work and you you've put in a lot of sacrifice to get to this point and, you know, just stay faithful throughout the process. This isn't the, this isn't the end. This is just the beginning. So mm. I could say it myself from her. I feel like that's what she would say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Well, tell us about your upbringing. Um, I am from California, born and raised, whoop, whoop. Um, I have two older siblings and a younger brother. And um, both of my older siblings played sports. My oldest sister played basketball. Second oldest sister played softball. My brother is like a baseball prodigy. So I grew up with pretty much everyone doing something. Um, my siblings are a lot older than me. So my oldest sister is 41 and then my second older sister is 37. So there was kind of like a, they're three years apart. Me and my brother who's 26, we're three years apart. So we more so grew up with each other. Um, Mm. and it was just, it was a regular childhood. Um, I hung out with the kids on the block. We mm-hmm. didn't weren't attached to like iPads and iPhones and everything because we didn't have that then. So we would walk home from school three thirty. I would go in the house, do my homework four thirty, run outside, meet everyone at the little electrical box, and we would just hang out and play until the streetlights came on. And I had like a curfew, so when the first streetlight came on, I would be way at the end of the street and like race these streetlights so that I could get <laughs> to in front of my house before the streetlight came on because my mom would. Be sitting there waiting for me so it was very I had a, I had a, a regular childhood <laughs> oh, that's cool you also had some uh pre-home training right for your future career you better you better be at home before these street lights come on in front of this house so I would like be running for my life it was so funny now that I look at it it's it's absolutely hilarious but um yeah I just I had I had a pretty cool childhood in the moment. It didn't seem like it. Like I didn't, we didn't grow up with like the most money, but we weren't like completely unfortunate by any means. Um, so yeah, like my parent, my mom worked two jobs. My dad worked one job and then my dad got injured. So my mom worked three jobs. So Mm. I kind of just like found my way into sports as a means to like give myself something to do. Okay. And were you a pretty good student in um, elementary school through high school? Oh, definitely. Um, Going to college was never an option for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I was the first person to graduate from a four-year university in my my family. And um, it's funny because I was never told anything different growing up. My mom was always like, you have to get good grades because these grades are going to lead into you going to college. And, um, I wasn't even allowed to get B's. Like it was, it was, it was crazy now that I look at it. Like I remember vividly, like the most in trouble I'd have ever gotten in my life. We used to get our report cards in middle school and these like carbon sheets and I got a B minus. I tried to change it to a B plus. And so I was so freaked out because I was like, oh, I'm going to get in so much trouble. And for whatever reason, I just guess I wasn't logical. I did it with an ink pen. And uh, um, my mom. Rookie, was, I'm like, rookie move, rookie move. Right, did total rookie move. All, everyone out there, <laughs> at least use a pencil. Um, yeah, I, I got in trouble for having a B minus and I tried to change it. And that was like my first, like, oh, my rebel child. <laughs> the world <is> over. <laughs> and yeah, my mom was like, first off, never do that again. Second of all, like, this is a reflection of 
your capabilities. So you got this B minus because it's not because you're not smart. It's not because you don't understand the material. You got this B minus because you're not focused on what you're doing and you're not putting everything into, into, I think it was a math grade. I don't even remember, but I just remember her telling me like, it wasn't a direct reflection of what I was capable of learning. And so from that point, um, I really don't think I got another B on any of my report cards from that point on, like even through college, I think I may have like four on my transcript, but it was like econ and OCHEM, like hard classes. And so, yeah, it was, um, it was just kind of the starting point where I realized at a very young age that, you know, a lot of people will tell you like, Oh, this just isn't cut out for you. And like my mom could have definitely went that route. Like, you know, like it's okay. You're just not that great at math. And she didn't do that. She was like, you know what, this isn't a direct reflection of what you're capable of doing. So get back in the room and do this until your hand falls off. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think that piece of advice, um, you've been using it all your life since she said that to you? Um, I think subconsciously I have just because mm-hmm. it's crazy. Cause I didn't even think about all of that collectively until right now, when you asked me that question, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. the same concept that I have, whether I'm on the track, whether I'm doing bobsled, um, whether I'm just in the gym or doing a casual jog. Um, yeah, it's, it's, if you're going to do something completely pour yourself into it, don't go into it halfway. Um, Cause at the end of the day, it's not going to be worth it. And it, it, life is like a progress report. Mm-hmm. Like you think you're right. going to pass, you're going to fail. <laughs> yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's literally it. It's the most simple it's, way. Yeah. It's the most simple way to put it. You're absolutely you're right. Fail. So you have to position mm-hmm. yourself to give yourself every opportunity to make sure that you succeed. And you know, when people try to tell you and that you're not going to make it or they try to hold you back, um, you just take the other route, find people that truly believe in what you're doing and who you are. Yeah. When did you make the decision to go to the university of New Mexico? Um, I made that decision right after I'd gone on my recruiting trip and came back to, uh, California. So my high school track team was absolutely amazing. Um, I was very blessed where I had, uh, a track coach that had coached multiple Olympians. Um, he had coached at a collegiate level. So when we were being coached and when we had training and practice in high school, like I was training like a collegiate athlete. Um, there are a lot of things that a lot of high school kids don't get the opportunity to do or to see. Um, my coaches definitely made sure that we had the exposure of like traveling out of the state to go to major meets. Um, they really made sure that we were prepared to, to go back to being a little fish in a big pond and not just swimming around, but like being a force when we got there. And so for me, um, I wanted the same dynamic of a team, the same dynamic of a coach and Scotty, who was the coach that was doing my recruiting trip coaches at air force. Now, amazing person. Um, he was just like my high school coach. We are still friends till this day. So even after, um, I had transferred from New Mexico, we still kept in contact. I still see him every year at the Mount Zach relays. Um, that was the reason why I went there is because I could tell that he truly believed in everything that 
I was about to set out to do. And, um, that is the same belief that my high school coaches had in me. So I decided to go to New Mexico based on that. Mm, Okay. Wait, let's jump back a bit. Tell us about your high school coach or maybe one of your favorite ones. And what are some of the exact training methods they use that you felt helped prepare you for the collegiate level? Um, I would say, Thinking about it now, the most powerful tool that they instilled in me um, was the ability to have multiple coaches. So I had Mm -hmm. a coach that dealt with our sprinting. I had a coach that dealt with my jumping. I had a a coach that helped me with hurdling. Um, And at that point, I didn't know that I was a heptathlete in high school. I just thought I was a girl that did a lot of events. Um, I was a triple jumper, and that's what I wanted to go to school for. And having all of these coaches and being introduced to different coaching styles, the way that people, um, handle joy, handle anger, handle frustration. Um, that definitely prepared me to step into the light of being a heptathlete because I've had multiple coaches for my entire career. Um, I haven't had a single coach for, for all seven events and, they would do things like that was just out of the ordinary. Like we did weightlifting in high school, which doesn't really ever happen, especially back then more so now. But, um, yeah, we did weightlifting. We would train with parachutes. They would have us running up these crazy Hills with just like, Oh gosh, thinking about it now is I think I did most of the hardest training I have done in my life. I would say a good portion of it came from high school. They really made sure that we were prepared for whatever was going to be in front of us when we got into college. And their main goal for us was to get a degree. Um, my, my high school coach, um, he would always tell me, you know, there's people can take away your track career. And coach Mike sat me down on a, on the bleachers before I decided to like sign my commitment letter. And he was like, at the end of the day, the only thing that they can't take away from you is your education. So whatever you have to do to make sure that that is number one, that's what you do. And that's what's always in the forefront of any decision that you make. And that's what I lived by for the rest of my collegiate life, my collegiate life. What was your major? Um, I got my undergrad in business administration and then my master's in management and marketing. So what did you hope to do with those glorious uh, (laughs) majors after you graduated? Well, the funny thing is I totally did not want to get those majors. Um, (laughs) I went into my counselor's office in New Mexico. I had no idea what I wanted to go to school for. And I kind of just like had a snippet of like, oh, maybe I want to be a doctor. Like, okay, maybe not. Maybe I want to be a nurse. I was like, nah, maybe not that either. And, um, I wanted to do kinesiology and human movement science. I don't know why at a young age, it just kind of fascinated me. Um, just being able to let your body move in multiple places. And so New Mexico had a kinesiology program. That was one of the reasons why I went there also. And, um, I remember sitting in my counselor's office and her telling me that, she didn't think that I should go into kinesiology because I had four years to get out of college and that I should pick a a major that would be a lot easier with my track and field schedule and business would be an easier route for me to go. And me not knowing anything really, I like, I did my whole collegiate process of picking my schools, um, pretty much by myself. Like my coaches had an input on it, but like my parents let me make my own decision. 
And, um, I listened to her and I ended up with a business degree and not that it's a bad thing, but like, even until this day, like, I still want to go back to school for physical therapy and I'm paying for a master's degree in management and marketing, which I love the fact that I am so knowledgeable and learn so much about just group dynamics and how people function. Um, but it's not what my true passion is. And so, yeah, yeah, it was, it was kind of a, a sad thing that happened, but at the same time, it set me up for transferring to Azusa Pacific because the master's program that I did, um, was more so like a human resource, um, management program. And I learned so much more about people and what they have to offer and how people have certain strengths. And even though they may not be your strengths, they still play a major role in, in the success of yourself in a group. So there are definitely some great things that, that came from it. And I'm very, um, blessed to look at now, but I feel like kinesiology and human movement science, um, will always be in the front of, of what my passion is in terms of education. Wow. I feel like I hear this story often with athletes, like they get pushed in a direction that's easy, you know, all the time. What advice would you give to a new athlete who is um, attending college? What's one thing that you would tell them knowing what you know now? Go with your gut feeling. If you truly feel like there's a degree that you want and it doesn't matter if you have five or six years to do it, um, if you're not on a full ride scholarship and you have to work, I was a full student full time. Um, I worked 30 hours a week. I had two jobs and I was a full time athlete. So it's mm-hmm. doable. Um, you can still have the social life. You can still hang out with your friends. You have to learn how to compartmentalize and you have to learn that the moment that you step foot on campus. And if you truly have a passion, if you want to be a doctor and you want to save the world, um, and you don't feel like you can do that and be a collegiate athlete, you can do that. Um, you don't have to go division one. Like there's so much hype with going division one and, it's, it's an amazing opportunity and there are amazing things that come from going to a division one school, but you don't have to do that. Um, at the end of the day, you were, you were only going to be an athlete for so long. And it's like coach Mike would tell me all the time, like your education is the only thing that no one can take away from you. So you have to position yourself to be able to achieve your goals. And even if you want to be an Olympian, go to a school that allows you to do that. But if you don't have the resources, don't use that as an excuse to not have your dreams come true. Um, mm-hmm. You can still do it. So that's what I would say personally, because that's the position mm-hmm. that I was in. Yeah. Do you feel that student athletes should be paid? I know it's like a debate that everyone has been discussing, but I mean, it's a job in a sense. Do you think that they should, outside of um, also getting an education, maybe also get money so they don't have to have a job on the side as well? Um, I can answer that one of two ways. So most athletes are not that responsible. (laughs) (laughs) That would be if, if they were to allow collegiate athletes, some type of a stipend, um, Uh my, I personally would say they would have to be regulated through the school somehow. Like, uh, a credit card that is attached to the school or the school would be able to see their, their purchases. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's social, it's a social atmosphere. You go to college, not just for the education, not just for the school, but to meet people. And, um, 
yeah, some of that would get blown on parties, which I'm not saying that one can pass judgment on people that party or not, or you can't have a social life and party and be an athlete. Like I'm not saying any of that. I'm not also not condoning that, but, um, everyone, like you're an adult, you get to make your own choices and sometimes they're not the greatest. So Mm -hmm. I feel like with having that much power of X amount of money being given to you, it could probably be spent in the wrong way. Um, And it is a job. I definitely think that it would help a lot of athletes like myself that went to New Mexico. Like I didn't have family there. I didn't have a job there. I didn't have a job before I went to college. And like, there's a waiting process when you get your financial aid back. And even then your financial aid really isn't that much in comparison to what you like what you need as a collegiate athlete, like buying groceries, um, the cafeteria isn't open all the time. So there definitely are, are things that people don't tell you, excuse me, and they don't think about. And I feel like having that stipend would truly, um, aid in that process. So Mm. that's both sides for me. Exactly. No, good point. All right. So tell us about your life right after graduation. What did you do? Um, right after I graduated from college, I, um, remember having a conversation with Brian Clay, who's a two-time medalist as a decathlete. And it was like one of my last practices. And he was like, do you know what the difference is like between like me and you or you and these collegiate athletes? And I'm looking at him like, uh, we train longer. Like, I don't, uh, we eat better. He was like, no, that's definitely not the answer. He was like, it's 5%. He was like, it's the extra 5% that you give in doing anything that you do. Like that's truly the difference between being an elite athlete and being a collegiate athlete. And so, um, I had made a decision from that point that I wanted to compete at the 2016, um, Olympic trials and with hopes of making a team. And, um, I started to implement that 5% rule in everything that I did. So when I would be tired or I would feel like, Oh, I don't feel like doing this today, or I'm really struggling with this event on the track. And I don't know if I can do this. I would remember what he told me. And I was very fortunate where I got a chance to train in an extremely talented, um, post-collegiate group. I had a a medalist from Canada that was a decathlete. I had a two-time medalist for the U S I had a Haitian hurdler um, that went to the Olympic games that I trained with. I had a two time NCAA decathlete that I trained with. Like I had all of the knowledge necessary um, in that training group after I finished college um, to succeed. And it was, it was really cool to just sit back and be like, wow, like people would kill to be in this training position that I'm in. I'm with two coaches that coached, this Olympic athlete and I have the Olympic athlete, like, and he's my mentor and it definitely all, um, it was just a a blessed experience to, to pretty much jump off of the, the diving board into a giant pool of, Oh crap. Being an elite athlete is totally different than being a collegiate athlete, but it's only 5%. Like not that much needs to change. It just is a shift in your, your mentality and a shift in your choices. And so I felt like after I graduated, um, that's what I wanted to do. And then the next year, um, my mom had passed away. So I was in my master's, getting my master's degree, just finished my master's program. And my um, 
mom had passed away abruptly of a brain aneurysm. And so I remember, um, coming back to school and talking to my coaches and my mom had, uh, this is sound creepy, but like she'd written these letters for us because like my mom's number one goal was for us to establish our own faith. And so she'd kind of like written in her Bible, like these little notes to us. And we had these kind of books of like us growing up and with me traveling as much as I did and being in college, like I didn't go home that much. Um, my parents had moved to Vegas, so I definitely didn't go there that much cause it was just like not possible. I'd a didn't have enough money to be able to afford to go back and forth. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, she just, she written this letter and it told me to don't stop running track until God completely takes it away from you. So like, here I am mm-hmm. this 21 year old that just graduated with a master's degree, like holding this letter. I'm like, well, this is a big, like, this is some shoes to fill right here. Like, I don't know. That's a little deep for me. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, I told my coaches and I showed them the letter and I was like, I don't really know what to do. And they were like, you know, if you want to continue training here, you can continue training here. Like you can come into the training group that we have and we will do nothing but support you and your goals of, of making that team. And that is how I, and why I continue to train there after I was done. Wow. Your mom always saying the right thing at the right time. Even if it's, and I'm yeah, like I know. the hard-headed kid, like, oh, please get out of my face. Like, I'm not trying to hear this today. And really, <laughs> it's, it's really crazy when they tell you, when you get older, you, like, truly do grow into aspects of your parents. And you fight it. Like, when you're growing up, you're like, there's no way. But, like, yeah, they're, they're definitely, right. like, being able to look at the things that my mom would say then and being able to apply them into situations and um, choices that I – and decisions I need to make now – um, it definitely is pretty awesome because there's a lot of people that still have their parents that don't ever hear anything like that, or they're just not present. Yeah. So what's the biggest risk you've ever taken for your career? Um, hmm. Biggest risk I've taken for my career. Um, I think I have a, a two-way tie. They both involve moving, but I would say 2016, um, I had packed my life and decided to leave my coaches and leave, uh, the training group that I had at Azusa. And I wanted to do something different. I felt like my coaches who I adore, like they are still my mentors, um, still people that I, I love and look up to until this day, um, I didn't want to leave them, but I felt like I had gotten to a point where I needed to do something different. And for me to do that, I had to be somewhere else. Like they, I was kind of coddled and, um, it's, it was a great thing for me because I didn't really have anything or anyone there. I just had my coaches and my team and, um, you can't really go through life that way. So I just gotten tired of, of always, just missing and being on the bubble of if they take top 18 at us trials, like you're 19th, they take top 15, you're 16th. And I had gone through my career and I'd done that three times. And I was like, you know what, this is 2016. And either if I stay here, we'll see what happens. If I move, we'll see what happens. Like I, I had, I had the opportunity to just take a gamble 
And so I packed my life, moved to Dallas, Texas with my coach's best friend and a training partner that I adore. Oh gosh, she's so awesome. And, um, yeah, I, I hit my qualifying standard. I didn't have one. I had six months to train and I put my head down and I dedicated everything that I had to do to, um, getting to trials and potentially making that team. And, um, it was a very scary challenge because I didn't go to school in Texas, didn't have anyone. I literally had a training partner that I prayed daily that we didn't eventually get on each other's nerves because we would spend every waking moment together. And like, that literally was like the only friend that I had and, um, a coach that he has so much passion behind what he does. And I guess I was like in a growing pain or something emotionally and physically and just like mentally and even as an athlete and things that he would tell me sometimes I'm like no like I would I just (laughs) like I was so adamant about succeeding that if it did not line up with me succeeding I was like I'm not doing it and I would voice it whereas before Mm -hmm. I would kind of like I, I never had a doubt in my mind that anything that I was doing on the track or what my training or what my programming was, wasn't set for me to be the best athlete that I could be. And then I jumped into a pool of like, now I have a say so in what I do and that will play a major role in if I succeed or not. So it was a very hard, um, balance to completely trust in the process and trust in the programming of, of a coach that you've just met, but also not completely letting go of the things that you had learned with a coach that has known you your entire life. Um, so that was probably one of the most, um, challenging and difficult and scary things that I had done. And if you could give some advice to any aspiring Olympians or just to give them the real on what it's like to go through this process of being on a USA team and like financially how that, you know, has impacted your life, please share. Um, well, first you have to find a support group of people and coaches and even training partners that truly believe in what you're doing. Um, it's not always easy. You're not always going to like the person that you're training with, but you have to learn to use everything in your favor. Um, and having that, those people to fall back on. Um, it's like Brian would tell me all the time as my coach and like one of my mentors, he was like, you know, having a team and having coaches, they, those are the people that believe in you when you don't believe in yourself. And at some point in your career, when you're training, like that's going to happen and you need to be able to look over and have someone pick you up. Um, so that would be the first thing that I would tell them. The second thing that I would tell them is, um, you have to truly learn the difference between sacrifice and choices. I feel like some people say that like, Oh, I have to sacrifice this. I have to sacrifice that. It's like, no, like, you need to make that decision and make that choice in order for you to be where you need to be. And if you make a choice and it's something that you're passionate about, then it shouldn't be considered a sacrifice. Um, so that would be the second thing. And the third thing I would say financially, um, it's going to be a struggle. Um, every athlete doesn't just hop out of college with, uh, giant stipend or a giant sponsor that's going to pay you a lot of money to run. Um, if you look at the statistics, like they're the top 10 athletes in every event in the U S are more than likely ranked top 15 in the world. So 
the odds are really slim. So you really have to position yourself to be prepared for the journey and the ride because it is not rainbows and butterflies. Um, there definitely are some great people that you meet. There are amazing places that you get to see and travel to. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of times like you have to pay your coaches sometimes after you're done being a collegiate athlete. Um, you also have to pay to support yourself. You can't really live off of peanut butter and jelly and top ramen like you did in college. Like there, there are some things that, um, that are a necessity. Like now your nutrition goes into a factor of the way that you're going to perform. And, um, like I didn't have my parents to fall back on to like give me money. Like we just didn't have income like that. And then my mom passed away and, it was kind of just like, all right, I'm really, truly like, all right, God, what are you doing here? First of all. And second of all, how the heck am I going to support myself? So I did what I know best. I got two jobs. (laughs) What were those jobs? Um, I worked at random places on campus. I worked at a sushi bar. Um, I also worked, uh, under like where our washroom was, um, for the athletics department, we would like wash jerseys. So I worked there. And then, um, I also worked at the bookstore. So I had more than two jobs at three jobs. And then once I graduated, I couldn't have those jobs anymore because I wasn't a student. So I ventured off into doing personal training, which is still what I do and writing nutrition programs. Cause I went back to school, um, to learn more about nutrition just because I knew it was a major factor in becoming an elite athlete. And, learning how to fuel your body. And so I, yeah, I started off coaching kids and, and working and doing speed and agility camps. And that kind of was the way for me to pay for what I needed to pay for. And I didn't make a lot of money, but I need, I made enough money for me to, to be able to pay my rent and to buy food, like the, like the actual necessities of life. (laughs) Exactly. Well, please share the exact process of becoming a certified personal trainer, because there's a lot of girls out there who want to do it, but they don't even know how to do it. Can you take us through the process? Yeah. Um, I got my certification through um, NASM, which is NASM. And I really, you can go to school to become a certified personal trainer, um, and go to school for human movement science. And I realized I was trying to double major when I went to, um, Azusa, I was majoring in business because I had already started the degree from New Mexico, but I still wanted to do, um, human movement science. And I couldn't do kinesiology because I had already missed, um, a year of prerequisites and I would have been in college for seven years. It was just like a process I wasn't willing to go down. And I was looking and going through the NASA material in my, in my, um, I was in my anatomy and physiology class talking to my professor. And she was like, you do know that you could just take the test. You don't have to go through like the whole education process of this. Cause this is all you do is take this test at the end of your degree. And she was like, you, you can end school with a master's or you can end school with a double major. And for you to do what you are about to embark and do, like having a master's degree in management and marketing and business is going to take you further. So, um, she gave me the website. I went online and you really just register for the test and pay for it. Um, I just clicked the package that I wanted and I got the one where I could study online and I got the book 
Um, I'm more of like a tangible book person. I can't really do like eBooks. They don't work for me. My attention spans like a goldfish. So I'm like, I actually need to flip through pages. And, um, yeah, you, you go through six months of studying to a year. And then at the end of that, that process, you set your testing date and you go to a site and you sit down. I think they give you two hours and you take a multiple choice test. And, um, that's really it. They give you your certification right there. And then you're certified for two years and then you have to do continuing education courses and yeah, you just stay on top of that. And that's how you become a certified personal trainer. And I got my nutrition certification the same way through the same, um, NASM program. So yeah, they definitely make it easy, um, to have a one-stop shop for that. So it was very, uh, very chill and an easy process to go through. Okay. Well, over the six months, how often or how frequently did you study? Um, how often I will tell someone to study is you should probably <laughs> study at least um, maybe 30 minutes a day, at least. Okay. Um, if not, like Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, an hour, set your timer and just sit down and read a chapter. Um I would have done that for six months, but you know, I live life on the edge sometimes too much. And I waited the week out to study six months of material. And I thank (laughs) God that I am a visual learner and I see images very well because, um, that is the only way that I passed that test and everyone does not have photographic memory. So I do not suggest that you do that in a week. Um, oh my goodness. Oh, wow. That's amazing that you did that much studying in a week. (laughs) Very stressful. Let me tell you. And, um, I was getting ready to move and I had, I had a week left before it expired and I had to move across country 24 hours. So I had to take the test the day before I drove my car 24 hours to Texas, like, or 22 hours away to Texas. It was, don't do it. Take the time, learn the material. Um, yeah. And for me personally, because I had already had a year and a half of, um, exercise science, under my belt, I already knew a lot of the material. So that was definitely an added, um, factor of that, that helped me. So yeah, let's study. Thank goodness. Weekly. For multiple choice. Right. Process. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay, good. That was really cool to hear about that. All right. So, um, let's talk about your morning routine. Do you have one that you just pretty much live by? Um, yeah, I pretty much drink coffee, like people breathe air and it can be decaf, like not even, I don't even care about the caffeine. It doesn't even like pump me up, but, um, I wake up in the morning. I have a sleep tracker that I use that like kind of tracks my sleep patterns, figure out like how deep of sleep that I get in. So I turn that and it's my alarm. So I turn that alarm off. I literally get out of the bed go to the coffee grinder, start the coffee maker, get back in my bed. I chill. Um, I have a daily devotional that'll pop up and I have like a discipleship book that I'm reading right now. So I'll like read a couple pages of that. Then my coffee will be ready. And, um, I cook breakfast and I usually have two clients that I train virtually for personal training before I have to go to my training session. And so, um, I set them up back to back for an hour 
and I make breakfast while I'm on the phone with them. Cause one of them is super chill and she's like, I understand that you have to go to training. So that's the cool part is they're super understanding about like my goals and what I'm trying to achieve now. Um, and I get off the phone with them and I hop in my car and I go to training. Is there a book that, um, you feel has changed your life that you've read? Um, yeah, there's a book called moving forward by Paul Edward and he, I had never had a sports psychologist in college or just in general, my athletic career. And they are such a necessity for athletes. Like I can't even put into words how important it is to find someone that, um, can truly, you can truly vent to even outside of your coach. Um, and just because like there's decisions that you have to make, like having to make the decision to leave my coach was probably one of the hardest things I'd had, like I've had to do, like even walking up to him, telling him that I was thinking about leaving, I like bust into tears and like, I'm not really a crier. So having an outlet of, um, having someone to talk to when you have to go in through situations like that, that is truly honest. Um, Paul told me, I'm just very fortunate to be able to, um, go to school. And he was one of the, um, the psychologists at my school and also wrote a book. And he told me like, you know what, you need to build Tiffany incorporated and however you need to do that is what you there. That is a necessity, um, for you to achieve and succeed your goals of becoming an Olympian. So yeah, he wrote a book called moving forward and it was cool because I was able to take just the conversations that I had with him, um, in a tangible book. <laughs> and I love the book because you don't have to read it in order. Like you, he, in the, in the beginning of it, he tells you like find segments of where you're struggling in your life and start there. And so that was the cool part. Cause I'm not a reader. Like I wish I were people. I'm sorry, but like, I'm not a huge reader. It's just, I fall asleep. And there was something about like his book, ironically being called moving forward, but I didn't have to follow it step by step by step. Like I could find the process and I could be on the own, my own journey and go through the book as I needed to go through the book. What is, well, you work out for, you work out for a living, right? So, <laughs> so it's like, I'm always wondering like, well, what do you actually lo- like love to do? Like, you know, even though you, you run or, you know, if it's blob bobsledding, I mean, obviously you love your job, but is there, are there yeah. other workouts that you do that you find to just be more fun I for you? I love SoulCycle. <laughs> I absolutely love SoulCycle. Um, I'm sad that I live in Tennessee and they are not here in Johnson city. So if they're here in this, please put one out here. Um, I'll be your biggest, your biggest supporter. Um, but yeah, I love soul cycle. There's just something about being on a bike, listening to good music. One of my best friends in Dallas was an instructor and I would always take his classes and, um, his energy is just awesome. Just who he was as a person and like being able to see his passion on a bike. And it, there, it was just a very cool experience to be able to just get lost on a bike versus being lost on a track. Like in that room, I I wasn't Tiffany, the athlete. I was just like Tiffany, the average person that wanted to go work out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What's always in your gym bag when you head out Um, for a workout? Always in my gym bag. I always have an apple, like always. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I always have my beat headphones. This is definitely um, a must have for me. Music is a big factor in, in what I do. Um, hmm, chapstick. Cause you can just never have chap lips. Um, also what else? Um, I usually have some type of a snack. So like a go macro bar. Um, they have this cherry walnut one that is just like literally to die for. And, um, usually like I have this, um, pro hydrate, which is kind of like a Gatorade, but without as much sugar from try about time. And I'll usually have like, I have, I separated in a little Ziploc bag so I can just like grab them when I walk out of the door in the morning. And so I put one of those in there. And then I also do the same thing with, uh, I have this chocolate protein powder that I use from now foods. And I put those in individual bags also, so I can just grab that and walk out. So collectively that's like typically what I will have in my gym bag. Okay. Well, you said that, you know, music can make or break your workout. So which songs are on your workout playlist? Um, Typically, I listen to pretty much anything. Um, when I'm competing because your energy levels, your energy level spikes so high, like you truly need to be in control of just everything. Um, I'm like an Amy Winehouse person, which is so weird because people are like, how do you warm up to Amy Winehouse? And I'm like, mm-hmm. you're listening to headbangers. Like you're just like too hype. Like you can really truly be too hype. And that's not what I need. So I save the too mm-hmm. hype for like pre-training and um, like uh, anything and everything. Like I could have Drake playing. I don't condone this either, but like sometimes too short will pop in. Like it just kind of just depends on where I'm at and what's, what's being played. Um, I, I just put my, my Spotify on shuffle and I get what I get. Rihanna could pop on, Beyonce could pop on for all I know. Drake come in after just kind of depends. J Cole could come on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure your um, your music choice, we can all relate to. I love everything that you just <laughs> said. But um, <laughs> but um, I meant to ask you this earlier. Are there any athletes that you looked up to growing up? Like, oh my gosh, I want to be just like this person. Hmm. Um, well... I wanted to be a a rhythmic gymnast when I was growing up. So, (laughs) um, yeah, I don't know, honestly. Um, I just liked, I just liked Olympic sports. Like I wouldn't say that I looked up to anyone. I looked up to Olympic athletes. Um, I religiously would watch gymnastics during the Olympic games for whatever reason. I don't know why I'm five foot nine. There's no way that I was going to be a gymnast. Um, I would do flips in the backyard and I would tie like (laughs) the string that they would use for like party streamers. I'd tie it to sticks and I would like twirl around the house and like, (laughs) I was like adamant about being a a rhythmic gymnast. So like, Dominique Dawes and like watching like the old school, like Nasia Lukens, like the old school gymnast was super cool to me. Cause like that, that was my dream to like, to be on a stage that big. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And then I would just watch other, like once gym, um, gymnastics was done, I would still continue to watch the Olympic games and I would watch like skiing and other random things. I really didn't know what it was called. And I would say that was more so what I looked forward to, uh, growing up was, was being at the Olympic games. Dominique Dawes, I think was, a, was a special, um, athlete for so many. I mean, everyone loved Dominique Dawes. Right. Yeah. I mean, how could you not? I'd never, (laughs) no part of me has ever done anything like gymnastics oriented. And I was like, oh my gosh, this girl's so dope. I know. She was so awesome. You took me back with that one. That was cool. (laughs) I I think I just dated myself, but it's cool. It was was seeing them and their team and the joy that they had doing what they were doing. Um, Yeah. That was cool to me. And that's what I wanted. Mm. Well, since Pretty Girl Sweat, which type of deodorant do you use? Um, men's degree. <laughs> awesome. And, uh, men's degree. I don't know why. It just like I switched it up one day and I was like, wow, men's deodorant works so much better than women's deodorant. What are, what are the odds here? Still no equal opportunity in the deodorant department. Right. What is up with that? Like, come oh, on. Can life. we get a break? Rough life. Oh my gosh, women, we got it tough out here. Okay. So speaking of pretty girl sweat, when you hear those words, what do they mean to you? Um, to me personally, I feel like pretty girl sweat, it, it doesn't really matter like who you are, what you're doing. It could be yoga. You can be someone that's venturing off into a fitness journey and you are like completely overweight and sweating to you is like, I'm able to get up, walk outside and I'm just walking to the stop sign, which may be like 300 feet. And that's your fitness goal. Like that is what you, you look forward to. And, and you have a journey and a process and you get up and you start that journey in that process and you sweat in the midst of it. Um, to me, that's what it's, it's truly about. It's figure out and finding, um, what your fitness goals are, what your passion is, and really what your journey is to, to truly live a healthy lifestyle. And regardless of what it is, putting everything that you have into it. Um, I feel like being pretty, um, can sometimes be misconstrued, especially in social media today. And, um, it's pretty girl sweat, doesn't mean that you're just like the supermodel that's going out and, and lifting dumbbells. Like you're pretty because of who you are as a person. You're pretty because of what your passions are. You're pretty because you truly live a life that will inspire others. If you allow yourself to be vulnerable to do that. And, um, that's what that truly means to me. Um, it's just going out and completely giving your all into, into something that encompasses your health and your, your fitness journey. So, yeah. Well, what's next for you? (laughs) Um, Next for me is venturing off into track and field season. So I will open up season at the end of May and um, kind of figure out, because I'm a two-sport athlete, um, what that will look like going to U.S. outdoors for track and field nationals or um, gearing up for bobsled to make the national team, which team selections will be in August, I believe. And there's just some things that I have to do um, in each sport that don't really parallel with each other. So right now it's kind of just like 
being in track season, opening up competition, kind of really training. I told myself this year that I wanted to get back to the basics. So learning my sprint positions, um, just the small minor things that sometimes we get um, sidetracked by the bigger picture and you kind of skip them and you can't really skip them because everyone is at this level right now. And so uh, you have to truly learn to master the basics and I need to know how to throw a shot put in positions and throw a javelin and hurdle um, more times correctly than I can count it wrong. And so uh, that's truly what this year is about for me um, in terms of track and field season. And for bobsled, it's making a national team. Um, I, I really truly believe that um, I have what it takes to be able to do both sports. And a lot of it is just truly zoning in and, being in track season and track season and being in bobsled and bobsled season. So yeah, from there, um, August through probably February, I'll be on tour for the national team. So that's my, my goals and what I'm setting out to do now. Well, that's Tiffany. Be sure to follow her on Instagram at Tiffy, T-I-F-F-I-E-P, on Facebook at Tiffany Parker and on Twitter at Tiffy underscore P. Join us on Saturday, September 15th for the second annual Pretty Girl Sweat Fest at Atlanta. Grab your squad for the ultimate Sweat Sisterhood Fitness Festival with 700 women, seven fun workouts, seven Sweat Liberty honorees, seven incredible captains, and so much more. With heart-pumping workouts coupled with the dopest female DJs, you get a first-class ticket to your favorite fitness trends and hit songs. When you're not sweating it out, you can refresh and refuel at our hydration stations, Savor Garden filled with deliciously healthy food trucks, beauty bar, and complimentary swag. Early bird tickets are still on sale to July 15th, so grab yours before they're gone. Just one more thing before you take off. Do you want to get a short email from Pretty Girl Sweat every Monday and Friday that serves as a daily dose of all things inspiring and allows you priority access to our upcoming events? Just go to prettygirlsweat.com. That's Pretty Girls with an S, sweat.com. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. And if you sign up, you'll soon discover that there's no hood like sisterhood. Until next time, always remember that good things come to those who sweat.